you want to open up your Bibles to Zechariah chapter 4. We'll be looking there this morning. If you haven't been to Zechariah in a while, it's the second to last book in the Old Testament. So just go to the Gospel of Matthew and turn back a couple pages and you should find it there. So we come now to um, to Zechariah chapter 4. We've spoken in the last couple weeks. We've taken a break from John. I think we'll be back next week. I'm not 100% sure. Um, But uh, we've taken a break from John to look at some things. A couple weeks ago, we looked at what happens when God's people gather together to worship, why that's so important as a church that we gather together, that we worship God, why we do what we do. Uh, We talked about the liberty of conscience, and Zach last week spoke about seeing Christ in all the scriptures. And in many ways, we're kind of applying all those things um, this morning, or hopefully we will, as we look to this great book and great chapter of God's Word. Now, if you haven't read Zechariah recently, it's often referred to as the sort of book of revelation in the Old Testament. And the reason for that is because there's many strange and interesting visions that are given to the prophet Zechariah, similarly to what is given to John in the book of Revelations. Strange and particular imagery. There's this vision of a flying scroll. <laughs> There's the vision of a woman in a basket. Okay, There's these kind of strange images that we see in the book of Zechariah. And if we're honest, I think, whether we're reading Zechariah or reading the book of Revelation, maybe Daniel, these strange visions can kind of trip us up a little bit because we don't know what is going on. We don't know how we're supposed to interpret it. Sadly, in our day, we're kind of taught to interpret it very wrongly, very literally. And so we're left thinking, how do I understand this passage? How does this apply to me? And what's the significance of this? And so the strangeness of, the, of these kind of visions leads to confusion for God's people. We're confused. We don't know what this passage is about. And so it leads to confusion. But my goal this morning is to show us that these strange and peculiar visions are not meant to lead God's people to confusion. They're actually meant to bring us great comfort and confidence in what God is doing through His church. And what I think is so amazing about these visions and why they are so strange to us is because they're meant to take us out of this heavenly, out of the earthly, worldly perspective that we find ourselves in most of the time, right? We're walking through our day and we're thinking of things in a very earthly way. We're sitting in this building here in Decatur, Illinois. We're, we're thinking in very earthly terms. And the reason for these visions is to give us a heavenly perspective to show us what's going on in the heavenly reality of these things. Because if we're honest, we can oftentimes have a very earthly perspective as to what's happening, not only when we gather together to worship, but even what we are as a church, right? We're just a couple of people that know each other, that find ourselves here every Sunday. Are we more than that? Is there more to what's going on than this simply earthly things that we see with our eyes. And we're not really helped by the world that we live in because the world sort of teaches us to look at things in a very earthly perspective, right? It's about how many people you have. It's about fame and glory and power and might. It's about all these earthly, external things. And if we can admit to ourselves 
this kind of influences us, right? We can, tempt, we can be tempted to think in this way. Okay, how many people do we have? How can we grow our church to this big, giant thing? How can we use strategies to sort of get people, trick them into coming, or whatever it is? These fleshly desires can creep in to our minds. And so what we're going to see today in Zechariah chapter 4 is quite a different picture. It's quite a different picture, a strange heavenly picture of Christ and his church. A strange heavenly picture of Christ and his church and the work of the Spirit. And our goal ultimately is to see is that what you and I need most this morning, what God has given us in his grace, is to be reminded of his precious and very great promises that he's given to his church, the promises that he's given to God's people, and how that's meant to not confuse us, but bring us comfort and confidence in God's plan of redemption. And so what we're going to see today in Zechariah chapter 4 is the fifth vision in the book of Zechariah. The fifth vision in the book of Zechariah. And we see here the vision of a golden lampstand. The vision of a golden lampstand. Now this vision happens in a particular time in the history of God's people. They had returned from exile in Babylon. They've returned to the promised land and they are commissioned to rebuild the temple that had been destroyed. And we'll see that there's a lot of discouragement happening amongst these people as they're commissioned to rebuild this temple. There's discouragement from within. There's people that are despising the temple. There's opposition from outside of the people of God. And so this is happening at a very particular time in the history of Judah. And this vision of a lampstand, a golden lampstand, that is continually supplied with this golden oil is supposed to bring comfort and confidence to God's people as they find themselves in the context of Zechariah. But what we're going to see today is that this vision points beyond its context, points beyond itself to the reality and the fulfillment of Christ and his church. So I'm going to read our passage this morning. I'm going to pray for us, and then we will look to God's word. We'll be looking at the whole chapter, verses 1 through 14. This is the word of the Lord. And the angel who talked with me came again and woke me, like a man who was awakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? I said, I see, and behold, a lampstand of all gold with a bowl on top of it and seven lamps on it with seven lips on each of the lamps that are on top of it. And there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. And I said to the angel who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? And the angel who talked with me answered and said, do you not know what these are? I said, no, my Lord. Then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain. You shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. 
Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. These seven are the eyes of the Lord, which range through the whole earth. And then I said to him, what are these two olive trees on the right and the left of the lampstand? And a second time I answered and said to him, what are these two branches of the olive trees, which are beside the two golden pipes from which the golden oil is poured out? And he said to me, do you not know what these are? I said, no, my Lord. Then he said, these are the two anointed ones who stand by the Lord of the whole earth. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning trusting and relying on your grace. Your grace not only in sustaining us and preserving us by your providence, upholding us every moment of every day, every breath, every beat of our heart, but your grace in giving us Christ and your word and your spirit by which we come to not only know and understand our sin, but our need for a Savior and the redemption that is found only in the person and work of Christ. This morning we pray that you would strengthen us that you would illumine our eyes, the eyes of our hearts, open our ears, that we might hear the word of the Lord this morning to your people. That as we come to the book of Zechariah, we would come not with confusion, but we would come with confidence in the promises that you've given to us, your people, the promises of salvation, the mercy and grace that you've poured out for us in Christ. This morning, by the power of your Spirit, you would open our eyes to see the glory of the gospel this morning. We would come to rest in Christ, and we would have great assurance this morning that you are able to do the work that you have promised you would do, not by human might or strength, but by the power of your Spirit. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to look at three things this morning. We're going to look at three distinct things this morning. The first thing we're going to look at in verses 1 through 3 is the vision itself. The vision, this fifth vision that is given to the prophet Zechariah. Secondly, we'll look at the interpretation of this vision that the angel gives to him. And then finally, we'll look at the fulfillment in the new covenant in Christ. So first, we'll look at the vision in verses 1 through 3. So in this fifth vision, we see the prophet Zechariah see these three distinct things. First, we see the prophet has a vision of this golden lampstand, the vision of this golden lampstand, what might be called a menorah. If you've ever seen, you know, some of the Jewish festivals at Hanukkah, you see this lamp, this lampstand called a menorah. Uh, It has usually seven lamps on it, on the top of it, seven But we see here in this vision, this is not the exact same thing that the prophet sees. He sees a lampstand, a golden lampstand with seven lamps on it. And on top of each of those lamps is seven more lamps. So 49 lamps in total, this great multitude of lights on top of this golden lampstand. 
And the second thing that he sees is that surrounding this golden lampstand are two olive trees. There are two olive trees, one on the right side and one on the left. Pretty straightforward, nothing crazy. There's a lampstand with two olive trees. But we find that what is supplying, what is fueling this lampstand is these two olive trees. And what is supplying the oil is this, sorry, what is being supplied to this lampstand, this golden lampstand, is not any earthly human oil, but is golden oil that is ever flowing from these two olive trees. What is empowering, what is supplying this golden lampstand is no earthly oil, no earthly priest, but is actually being supplied by this golden oil that is continually flowing from the olive trees, supplying fire and light to this menorah lampstand. So in summary, we could say this. There's a golden lampstand that is receiving never-ceasing oil from these two olive trees. Now, this might not be strange to us, but the truth is that normally it would be a priest that supplied the oil to this lampstand, right? That's the way it was set up in the Old Testament. The priest would come and supply the oil for the lampstand. And this oil had to be continually refilled. If any of you have ever had like an oil burning lamp or something, right? You put the oil in, the light, the, the fire burns the oil out, and it needs to be refill, refilled continually. But what makes this vision so unique and so particular is that we see that these olive trees are supplying the oil to this lampstand and that this oil never runs out. It doesn't need to be resupplied. It doesn't need to be restocked. It is ever-flowing oil. This is the vision of Zechariah chapter 4. But what makes this vision even more strange, even more particular, is that this interpretation that the angel gives seems totally disconnected from the vision that is given. So the vision is given in verses 1 through 3, and in the remaining verses, the angel gives the interpretation for this vision. This brings us to our second point this morning, the interpretation. It's pretty funny, several times in this, <laughs> in this account, the angel asks Zechariah, do you know what these are? And he says, no, <laughs> right? If you've ever felt that way <laughs> when you're reading through the book of Revelation or Zechariah, what is this? I don't know, okay? So we can identify with Zechariah here. He says, no, Lord, I don't know what these are. But we see in verses four and following, the interpretation that the angel gives is strange because it seems disconnected from what we just saw. We saw a vision of trees, an oil, and a lampstand. But the angel gives the interpretation of this vision, and he says that this vision is actually concerning a house or a temple that is built by this servant of the Lord named Zerubbabel. The servant of the Lord, this son or offspring of David, he was kind of a governor of the people of Judah, and he is going to build this temple, this house of the Lord. And even though this work appears very small and insignificant, it is not to be despised, it's not to be looked down upon, because it is being supplied continually by the power of the Spirit. 
It is being continually supplied by the power of the Spirit. Now, this is usually where we get a little bit lost and confused. What is going on? What is this lampstand pictured by these two olive trees? Who is Zerubbabel? Okay, who is this guy? What is this mountain? What is this strange oil that's being pictured? Where is this oil from? There's all these questions that come into our mind, but as we interpret these visions, as well as all the visions in the Holy Scripture, it's important that we zoom out and look at all of Scripture, and I think what we'll see as we do that is that this strange vision comes into singular focus. This strange vision comes into very clear focus. That as we look at the history of the people of Zechariah's day, we see that the people of Judah had just come out of exile. They had just been exiled in the land of Babylon, and they are coming out of exile. They're returning to the promised land, and they are commissioned to rebuild the temple that had been destroyed. This dwelling place of God on the earth had been destroyed. They've been in exile, and they've been commissioned to rebuild this temple. Zerubbabel himself has been commissioned to do this work of temple building. And you can read about this in the book of Ezra, this work of rebuilding the temple. But we see that there's opposition. There's opposition externally and internally, from without of the people of God and also from within. There's opposition, there's adversaries that are surrounding the people that are tempting them to trying to thwart the plan of this temple building. There's all this opposition to this work. There's adversaries that are seeking to undermine this temple building project. So that's the external opposition, but there's also internal opposition. There's discouragement from the people that when the foundations of the temple are built, the people that had seen the former glorious temple of Solomon end up weeping because they see how small, how much smaller this new temple is, and so they're tempted to despise the size of this temple. So there's discouragement within the people, there's discouragement without. And so this vision that we read about, given by the prophet Zechariah, is meant to bring the people comfort and confidence in this temple building project, that even though it will appear small, God will empower his servant Zerubbabel to build the temple of the Lord pictured as a lampstand, that it will not be done by human might or human strength or human effort, but by the power of the Spirit. And even though there is great opposition that's pictured in our text as this great mountain, this great mountain of opposition that seeks to thwart and undermine this temple building, God's temple lampstand will be completed. It will be a light to the nations and it will be supplied continually by the oil of the Spirit. Now, if you listened to Zach's sermon last week, hopefully we're already starting to see how this picture, this vision in the book of Zechariah points beyond itself to something higher and greater than this earthly temple building project. That this vision points beyond itself from the shadow of the Old Testament 
to the substance in the new. That while this vision would have brought great comfort to the people of God at the earthly level, we see that this vision points beyond the type, beyond the shadows, to the fulfillment in Christ in the new covenant. And that brings us to our third point this morning, the fulfillment in the new covenant in Christ. The fulfillment in the new covenant in Christ. That what was pictured by Zechariah is fulfilled in the person and work of Christ and his church. That what was pictured in this fifth vision in the golden lampstand is fulfilled in the person and work of Christ and his church. That Christ himself is the fulfillment of Zechariah's vision. What do I mean? That when you come to the New Testament, we see that Christ has come as the incarnate Son of God, the true King, the true servant of the Lord, the builder of God's temple, who was typified by this man, Zerubbabel. That Christ is the one who worked, who conquered the enemies of God's people, and completed the temple, the house of the Lord. That Christ is the one who worked perfect righteousness for his people. He fulfilled the covenant of works, securing perfect and complete righteousness so that his people could be justified. He is the one who on the cross defeated the enemies of God, those that would oppose Christ and his church. Christ defeated them, leveling the mountain of our sin, our unrighteousness, and really um, you know, defeating the, the hold that Satan had on the nations, the people of God. Christ is the one who is building the temple, the church of God, the house of the Lord, and he does that by pouring out his spirit. So Christ is the fulfillment of what we see in Zechariah chapter 4. And we can say this, that the church is the golden lampstand that is pictured in Zechariah chapter 4, the menorah light that is to be a witness in a dark world. This is what Jesus calls the church. He says, you are the light of the world, that those that are united to Christ by the Spirit, those that are gathered together in His church, even though they are small, are not to be despised. They're not to be despised. Why? Because they are being continually filled by the power and the oil of the Spirit, ever present with God's people, supplying them with life and strength by the Spirit. So this vision, we could say this, Christ is the olive tree, the church is the golden lampstand, and the Spirit is the never-ceasing oil supplying life and strength to God's people. This is what we see when we turn to the New Testament. And some, someone said that Zechariah chapter 4 is like an Old Testament picture of the Great Commission. What happens after Jesus dies and rises from the grave? He turns to his disciples, and what does he say in the Great Commission? He says, go therefore, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teach them to observe all that I've commanded, and behold, I am with you always, the ever-present 
Christ with His people by the power of the Spirit. That Christ, as the resurrected last Adam, has all authority given to Him to be able to build the temple of the church, this light to the nations. And if that isn't convincing enough, when we go to the book of Acts, in chapter 2 of Acts, on the day of Pentecost, what do we see? That Christ, as the ascended Lord, He goes into heaven, and what does He do? He pours out His Spirit. He pours out His Spirit on the church. And what appears on the heads of those gathered in the upper room? Tongues as of fire. (laughs) Tongues as of fire. And we see here that the church itself is the fulfillment of this menorah lampstand. The church itself is the fulfillment of this menorah lampstand, filled and supplied by the oil of the Spirit that's been poured out by Christ. One commentator says this, Meredith Klein, this is one of my favorite quotes. He says this about Christ and Pentecost and Zechariah chapter 4. At Pentecost, Jesus, the true son of oil, poured out the fire fuel of the Spirit from his heavenly throne. And flaming tongues lit the heads of the assembly of commissioned witnesses. The Zechariah 4 vision of the menorah lampstand had come to life. Here was a reproduction of the symbolic picture in historical reality. (laughs) The actual menorah lamp had been lit. Jesus had inaugurated the church's menorah mission of worldwide witness testifying to the new covenant in His blood, showing forth His death until He come again. (laughs) This picture of Zechariah, a lampstand supplied with oil that never ceases, always being lit, is fulfilled in the people of God, the church of God, that are supplied not by earthly oil, not by earthly power, not by earthly strength, but by the oil of the Spirit. And this vision in Pentecost, people always wonder, why is there fire on tops of their heads? They're picturing a lampstand. <laughs> They're literally this lampstand that is being lit and supplied by the oil of the Spirit, this light of the world that's sustained by the Spirit of God, giving life and strength to God's people. And if you're not even convinced by that, all you have to do is go to the book of Revelation, and it says that the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And so we have confirmation from God's Word that this is how this vision is to be interpreted. And so as we walk away from Zechariah chapter 4, we see that this is really an Old Testament picture of the Great Commission, that God is going to send His people on this mission of witnessing to what God has done in Christ, and they're going to be supplied on this mission, not by their human strength or effort, not by white-knuckling, but by relying on the Spirit of God to complete this Great Commission the light of the gospel shining to the nations, God's people being saved as they hear the gospel of Christ, the temple of God being built, as we read this morning, living stone by living stone. 
And so what we need to remember this morning, brothers and sisters, is several things. We need to remember that we are not the ones that build the temple, the house of God, the church of God, the kingdom of God. It is not us who builds the temple, the church of God, but it is Christ. It is Christ who builds the church of God. It is Christ alone who was typified and pictured by Zerubbabel that builds the house, the temple of the Lord. What does verse 9 say in our passage? The hands of Zerubbabel, you could just put Christ in there. The hands of Christ have laid the foundations of this house and his hands shall also complete it. The work that Christ began will be completed. Christ is the one symbolically pictured as these two olive trees, the divine glory presence of God with his people, the enthroned last Adam that has poured out his spirit on his church. This is the one that builds the church of God. So the second thing we need to remember this morning is that the temple, this church of God, will not be built by human strength, human might, or human effort, but it will be built by the Spirit of God. This temple won't be built by human strength, human effort, human exertion, but by the Spirit of God. And I think as we think about this, it's important to think of what the church is not built by. What the church is not built by. It is not built by the personality or the efforts of the pastors of the church. I think this is all too common in our day. Someone that has good speaking ability, that can be a charismatic leader, comes in, and that's how the church is built, by someone, by his personality, by his efforts. That's how the church is built. That is not how the church of God is built. Neither is it built by the diligence, the hard work of the people of God, white-knuckling it in order to get as many people as possible into the church. That's not how the church is built, actually. It's not built by social media strategies. It's not built by pragmatic gimmicks that try to get people in and keep them. It is built by the Spirit of God, sustaining His people, effectually calling them to Himself, and preserving them to the end. It is the Spirit of the living God, not by might, not by strength, but by the Spirit, declares the Lord of hosts. The never-ceasing, continual supply of life, strength, and support for God's people. And so this is just to give us confidence, right? That as God's people, as the church of God, we can't rely on ourselves. We can't rely on our abilities, our efforts to build the house of God. It is dependent. Our dependence is only on the Spirit trusting him that he will do his work sovereignly and providentially. He will work in the house of the Lord and he will build his church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. That that's our hope this morning. It's not our, our strength, our effort, our ability, our piety. It is by the Spirit of God. And the last thing, and maybe the most pointed thing for us this morning, is that we can be tempted, just like the people of Israel, to despise the day of small things. We can be tempted to despise the day of small things. We can look at the size of something. We can be tempted to look at it at an earthly level and say, it's not very big. It's not significant. It's not worth my time. It's not worth this. It's not worth that. It's small. It's just going to pass away. 
And we can be tempted by this from within the church, right? We can, we can even, all of us in this room can be tempted to despise the size of our church or something like that, but we can be tempted from without, right? We can be tempted by people to say, oh, it's not a big deal, you know, just give this up, give that up, it's not a big deal. But as we look to Zechariah chapter 4, we see that we are not to despise the day of small things, that that is what the Lord uses, <laughs> is small things to overthrow what is powerful and strong in this world, that when our fruit and our labor seem small and insignificant, when we're being faithful to the Lord, but it doesn't feel like there's this great harvest that's being um, reaped, we can trust His promise. <laughs> we can trust that we are not to despise the day of small things, that it is the spiritual things, it's the unseen glory of what's going on when God's people come together to worship. The smallest thing, someone coming to faith, the world would look down on that. All of heaven rejoices when someone turns to the Lord. And so we can remember what the prophet Haggai said, who was prophesying during the same time as Zechariah, that the glory of the latter temple will be greater than the glory of the former. The earthly temple will pass away. The earthly house, you know, if we put our hope in this building, it's a great building, but it's not a giant 50,000 person stadium, right? Everything that is earthly will pass away. The size of a building, right? Our human effort, gold, all these things will pass away, but what will not pass away is what Christ has wrought by the Spirit, that the glory of the latter temple, the glory of God's church, the people of God, will not pass away, even though every earthly building will. That the glory of Christ and His church is greater than any earthly temple, any earthly kingdom, any earthly house, God is building us up by His Spirit, day by day, moment by moment, strengthening us, giving us power to complete this commission, to preach the gospel to all the nations, that God's people might be saved, that this top stone, the, the last person <laughs> to be saved, might be complete, that this project will be completed, and God's people will say glory to God for all that He's done, not by our effort, not by our strength, but by the power of the Spirit. So let's remember that this morning. Let's look to heaven and let's praise God for His grace. Pray with me, if you would. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this vision. We thank You for the glory of Your church, that as we're reminded this morning of what is really going on when we gather together to worship, what is really going on as Your church is built, it's not by the strength and might of your people, but by the power of your Spirit. May that give us great confidence and assurance and hope this morning that even when we're tempted to despise the size of our church or our own human strength, that we would trust and rely on your Spirit this morning. That you use what is small and insignificant to overthrow what is great and mighty in this world. And so this morning, would you give us confidence and comfort in your promise that you will build your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You are present with your people. You are present here with us even now. And may that give us strength as we not only worship you now and today, but as we go about our week seeking to live for you and seeking to glorify you in all that we do. Would you strengthen us by your Spirit this morning, we pray. Amen.